Hello and a warm welcome. I'm Armin Trost, professor at the Furtwangen University in Germany. And this is my series on human resources strategies, a real master course for advanced HR students, professionals and executives. This series is available on YouTube and on all podcatchers like iTunes or Spotify. All slides that support this series are available on my website. For more information, please read the description to this YouTube or podcast. I'd also like to refer to my book, Human Resources Strategies, available at most online bookstores. So, again, thanks for listening Have fun and gain valuable insights into the fascinating world of HR strategies. Whenever I meet an HR executive, I, I sooner or later ask one particular question, which is, What type of human resource management do you have in your company? That's a fundamental question to me. So you might wonder, what are these three different types? And I will share this with you in this episode. Uh, I made the decision to make this episode about the three different types very early in the series because I see it as, as something essential. Um, so let's start. When you hear this term, human resource management, you find the word management. And, and this is what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, management means that you do things in a very structured, in a very planned, in a very formal, in a very targeted uh, way. So you, you don't leave things just to chance. You, you don't do things ad hoc. You don't do things somehow or randomly, you have a plan, you have an idea, you have concrete steps to go, and you want to achieve specific outcomes. This is what management is all about. And behind management, there is the idea of institutionalization. Institutionalization. So this is the first dimension I would like to talk about, and, and this is essential, because there are some companies, or let's say many companies, who are in the beginning of institutionalization or don't have institutionalized human resource management at all, uh, especially when we think of small companies. They they do something in HR, they do th something about people, but but not so much. While when you look at very big corporations, you, you very often find uh, a huge variety of, of, of different things they do. They do employer branding. They have specific selection tool when it comes to recruiting. They have uh, specific processes and tools and programs for training and development. They have all sorts of things, you know. And, and these things are formally described and decided Right, so let's talk about this institutionalization first. And a simple way to look at it is to understand how companies develop from their very beginning. That that's a that's a good way to look at it, I, I, I guess. So <clears throat> when a company is founded, you you have a founder or a team of founders. And 
these founders are very essential, not only in the beginning, but for the remaining history of a company. And these founders, they typically have an attitude, um, an attitude about what is good management. They have an attitude about how to treat people well. Um, I mean, let, let's think of, of different founders in, in, in history of, of business. I mean, think of Richard Branson, yeah, the great founder of Virgin, the Virgin Group, or think of Steve Jobs, Th think of Bill Gates, think of Hewitt and Packard. I mean, all those founders, they, they had a specific attitude. Wherever this attitude came from, Maybe it came from their socialization, from the social environment they, they, in which they grew up. Uh, maybe they follow up on a certain religion or, yeah, wherever it came from, they have an attitude. And this attitude of the founder or the founders, of course, impact the way things are done in this new and young and small company. Um. But once the company is getting bigger, let's assume now you have 20 people, 80 people, 100 people. The founders cannot be anywhere anymore, right? I mean, that physically is not, is not possible. Um, so what they need to do is they have to shape something that we name a culture. A culture is, uh, let's say, uh, a set of implicit rules, uh, a set of implicit assumptions about what is good behavior, what is not so good behavior in this particular company. And it's not a surprise that those implicit rules very much relate to the attitude of the founders. So if the founders had the attitude that you better trust people and that the customers always come first, this attitude will be replicated in the culture. And, of course, the people think and behave this way. And that's very, very important. That's an important step um, that reduces complexity. Even though you still don't have rules, maybe, the people know how to behave or not to behave. But once a company gets even bigger, you start institutionalization. I mean, you have to. Once you have 200 people, 500 people, 1,000 people, culture will not be enough anymore and you need roles. You need clear responsibilities. While in earlier days, things were decided spontaneously or ad hoc. So when a project came up, uh, who will take care for what? I mean, it was decided uh, on the spot yeah, instantly. But once a company gets bigger, you have to make a decision. You, the company, the CEO maybe, who is responsible for what? And now different functions emerge. Yeah? You have clear responsibility. So when it comes to purchase, okay, this is this team who does this. When it comes to sales, these are the people who do sales. You have roles and you have structures. Structures not only in terms of organizational structure, but also in terms of, of processes. So when it comes to the question of, okay, how will we hire people in the future? Or how do we buy a machine? Or how do we kick off a project with a, with a, with a newly acquired customer? Uh, you might have processes, 
Yeah, you have a specific way to go, and the people are supposed to follow up on these processes, and and it and it makes life easier. Yeah, you also have 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 um, structures when it comes to very simple questions, like like as I will I will show you in more detail in a minute. When it comes to, for instance, business travel. Okay, when somebody does business travel on long distance, is the employee supposed to use business a uh, uh, um, uh, business class or still economy class or even first class? Who decides upon this? Is there a rule? In and the older or bigger a company, then the more rules you you have and 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 think this is good, because it reduces complexity. It's not that for every case the people have to think, oh, I have to do a business travel. Hmm, am I allowed to do this? Or am I allowed to do that? No, you you avoid this this discussion and you say, okay, here is the rule. Wherever this rule comes from, whether it is defined by the CEO or were, were, were agreed upon on a more or based on a more democratic procedure, does not matter. You have a rule, and that makes life easier for sure. So, some companies might exist just having culture, roles, and structures. I mean, when I think of, let's say, a university, for instance, I mean, we, we mainly have this, you know, or many hospitals, they, they mainly have this. But once you Once you are in a competitive environment, like most companies are, uh, you might not only have roles, structures, culture, you even might have something like uh, management systems, strategic management systems. And these are very, very advanced. Let's think of customer relationship management systems, supply chain management systems, human resource management systems. You, you have management systems. And management systems can be highly complex. Yeah? They include a lot of processes, systems, data, uh, and IT, uh, uh, and, and, and all, all these kind of things. Okay? So, again... We start with an attitude. The attitude is replicated in the culture. And the culture then is replicated in the types of roles and structures we have. And uh, the strategic management systems, again, replicate role, structure, culture, and, and, and so the, the, the attitude of the founder. Um, so from culture on, When we think about role structure, strategic management, this is what we name institutionalization. Okay, and this also happens in human resource management. Very often, when we when we look back uh, some decades, or when we look back at the beginning of some of the of some companies' development, in in the beginning you did not have so much, but now over the course of the time, a lot of things emerged. No role structure, strategic management system, and 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 whatsoever. This is the level of institutionalization, okay? But now, when we think of this institutionalization, there are two different paths to go. And, and again, this is a very simplified view. It, it, it even might be a little bit black and white, but, but you know, sometimes we have to think in terms of, of black and white. It, it makes things a little bit uh, easier to understand. I, I, I see there are two hemispheres, so to speak, or two directions 
where companies might go to. And let me share with you a very simple example, okay? Uh, and this example is, is, is really not about HR, uh, not, not at all. Uh, it's about something that I already have mentioned. It's about uh, travel, business travel. So when you look at business travel and how companies deal with that particular matter, you will find a big variety. Um, some companies have a Netflix kind of a business a policy which says act in Netflix best interest. Meaning, okay, you people, you are responsible. So if you decide to use first class, okay, go ahead, but act in Netflix best interest. If you have the idea that using first class in this particular situation is the best thing you can do for Netflix, then go ahead. Yeah. Some companies have something like, uh, like internal transparency saying, okay, guys, you, you, can, you, can, you can travel however you like. You decide by your own. You are responsible. But we will publish all travel costs on an intranet website so that everybody can see how much money And it's the company's money. It's our shared money, how much money you spend on your business travel. So better be careful, right? Act in a responsible way. And when you, when you act like this, you trust the people. You treat the people like adults. You assume that the people make right decisions. And you assume that the people are capable to do so. Okay? So... This is the idea of sharing responsibility, giving responsibility to the people, trusting the people. You might have rules. You might have structures. You might have processes. But it's all about supporting the people. It's about um, enabling the people to take over shared responsibility. Okay? While... In many other companies, travel policies look completely different. They, they rather look like this. Okay. When you want to do a long-distance flight, you can use economy class. Okay? This is what the policy says. If you... No, you can use business class, sorry. If you think you have to use first class, you must get the approval from the CEO. Okay? Or what you find very often is that any business travel must be approved by the supervisor above your next level supervisor. This is the idea that it's the management, it's, it's the executives, it's the, the upper level, the upper authority who has the responsibility. And they make the decision upon whether you as a regular employee can do this or not. So here, responsibility is culminated centralized on an upper authority level. You see the difference? It's, it's really interesting. And, and that's, a, that's, a fundamental, that's a fundamental difference how roles and structures and strategic management systems are, are designed. Some management systems are more hierarchical, let's say, or more focused on stability, where responsibility is really centered on the top or higher level of the hierarchical pyramid. And in some other companies, you have more something that we name agility. You have networks. You have shared responsibility on the bottom. 
of the organization. Now, now this is very simplified, really. This is very, very simplified. And we, we, will, we will need to go much deeper into this in the future. And I will share with you uh, what is the difference between the one hemisphere about hierarchy and stability versus the other hemisphere about agility and networks. We're going to talk about this intensively. Okay, so when we look at these two dimensions, one dimension was institutionalization from having nothing to having a lot of role structure processes. And when we at the same time look at this difference between hierarchy on one side and agility on the other side, we can reflect these two dimensions in a very simple triangle. And this triangle now is key, really. This triangle is key. And um, for those who just listen to this series via podcast now, that needs your That requires your little imagination. Imagine an uh, isosceles uh, a triangle. So what is an isosceles triangle? Uh, an iso isosceles triangle is a triangle where two angles have the same grades. Yeah? So let's imagine a pyramid. Yeah, a pyramid. When you look, look at a pyramid, yeah? a standing pyramid from front, you see an isosceles uh, triangle. The, the bottom two... Uh, uh, angles have the same grades, and it's it's the entire triangle is pointing to the to the top to the sky, so to speak. Yeah, and now now take this isosceles triangle and turn it 90% to the left. Yeah? Now you have an isosceles triangle that is pointing to the left, and on the right side you have a vertical side where both angles are of equal grades. Okay. Imagine this triangle. This is, this is a, a good way to look at it. Also, when I ask HR executives, I always draw this triangle on a piece of paper asking, okay, where is your, what is your type of human resource management? And every angle, every corner of this triangle reflects a specific type of human resources management. So, one angle of this triangle Yeah, the one that is pointing to the left. This is um, a triangle that has no institutionalization at all. And, and this reflects one type of human resource management, really. I name it higher end pay. Okay, higher end pay. What is that? Some companies have this. Higher end pay means that when you think of HR, you literally have no HR. <laughs> Really not. The only the only thing you do is you 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 somehow hire the people, right? I mean you have to. <laughs> you hire the people, but in a in a very ad hoc and maybe unstructured way. Every hiring process is, is somehow different. Yeah. And of course you have to compensate the people. So that's why I name it hire and pay. Sometimes in some organizations, you do not even pay the people. Let's think of them uh, non-governmental organization. Uh, but you still have to hire the people. But beyond this, you do nothing. You, you really do nothing. You no, no level, 
no level of institutional institutionalization, really nothing. You don't have performance appraisal. You don't have an employer brand. You don't have a structured training and development uh, system or something like this. Of course, you don't have you don't have an HR uh, information technology. You do. You might not even have an HR professional, or you might not even use this term. Yeah, it's, it's simply not there. And and still, I I, I still find uh, uh, more companies than I have initially expected, mid-sized companies who are still on this level. So sometimes I meet CEOs who say that's the exact way to go, having no HR at all. Uh, That I mean, for some HR professionals, that sounds a little bit risky or, or weird or uh, not so well, professional. But you know, they they share some assumptions. They say, "Well, I don't need an employer brand. Why? Why should I need an employer brand? Just be a good employer, and the people will spread the word. So just be a good employer. That's enough. Or." Uh, I recently met a CEO who told me, well, we don't have dedicated uh, selection procedures like assessment center or tests. We do not even want to hire the best people. We hire the B players, the lower B players, because they stay and these are the people I, I really get. So why should I? And if, if it turns out that the employee is not capable enough and is not capable of learning, then okay, I will fire this guy, full stop. So why do I need assessment centers, right? Or some say, well, I don't need something like, like talent management. Yeah, uh, talent management. Talent management is about systematically identifying most talented people in your organization and support them in a very systematic way so that on the long run they get prepared for key or senior positions in the organization. Some CEOs would say, no, I don't need something like this. And they follow the assumption, mm, well, the good will always find their way. The cream always comes to the top. The really talented people, they will, they will leverage their talent anyway. And if they don't, they are not talented. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the idea. If you're good, okay, be good. If you're talented, so okay, go ahead and leverage your talent. Uh, who, who stops you? So you don't need systems. That's the idea here, right? So, I mean, uh, performance appraisal. Some some uh, really uh, 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 avoid this. Say, why should I need performance appraisal? I mean, this is work. Talking about what we want to achieve, who does what, and constantly looking. Okay, where are we? I mean, that's a regular, natural thing we do at work. We don't need any system for this, right? Okay, we sometimes use uh, paper and pencil. Sometimes we use an Excel sheet to to track our 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 objectives or whatsoever. But, but we don't need an performance appraisal system okay i mean you feel it this is this is hire and pay a very low institutionalized way of doing hr so now let's move from this corner and in our imaginary triangle we are now with hire and pay on the left corner that is pointing to the left and now we move from left to right okay 
and institutionalization is growing, increasing. Now we have more and more and more. We start having responsibilities. We have rules. We start having processes. We start having a system. We start having a program. We start having key performance indicators. We start doing a lot of things. So higher end pay means we do nothing. And high level of institutionalization, the right end of the triangle means we do a lot. <laughs> we spend much time, effort and money to do a lot as part of our human resources management. So when we move from higher end pay to the right side, high level of, of institutionalization, there are two ways to go as we have learned. One way is to go, in my picture, to the top, which is about hierarchy and stability. Yeah? In terms of HR, I would name it central planning and control. That's the th second type of human resource management. How does that look like, central planning and control? Again, as I said, you do a lot. You really do a lot. High level of institutionalization. And But what, you, what do you do? There is the idea that there must be a central authority or there must be a central instance, like, let's say, the HR department, who is responsible for all people-related things, okay? So, when you look into a company that is following this type of human resource management, central planning and control, and you ask the question, who is responsible for learning This company tends to say, well, it's HR, the HR department. Who is responsible for hiring new employees? Yeah, the HR department. Who is responsible for the long-term development of the most talented people? Yeah, the HR department. Who is responsible for retaining the best people? Yeah, the HR department. Right. So you have a central authority taking care for all people-related things, right? So, how does that feel like from an employee side? If you are very talented, let's assume you work in such a company, and you're very talented, okay, then you wait and sit until HR, with a cooperation of, of line managers, of course, identifies you as the most talented person. So, it could happen that someday... You get a message saying, hey, John, congratulations, you have been identified as a high potential. So, if you agree, we now move on. We tell you exactly what to do now. Look, John, here is the career path you are supposed to go. And these are the different steps you are supposed to go. And here are the supportive programs, the trainings, the project and things you are supposed to do as part of your, of, your, of your entire developmental journey. Right? So HR tells you what to do and is taking you by your hand, saying, we know very well what is good for you. We're going to guide you. We're going to lead you. Just follow, right? Just follow. Or when it comes to recruiting, Now, let's say there is a department that wants to hire 12 new sales engineers. Sales engineers, okay. Okay. 
The first thing they do is they they call their their we name it today HR business partner. Say, hey HR, we want to hire twelve uh, sales engineers, uh, and then HR uh, uh, steps in and says, okay, uh, you want twelve sales engineers? Okay, good. So what are you looking for? And they have a briefing, yeah, a briefing, and they ask them, okay, what are the requirements? Uh, of the future employees and uh, then they might talk a little bit about okay which channels and which channels do we want to post a job ad or whatsoever and and then HR is taking over responsibility yeah and then on a weekly basis the business line will knock at the HR department store asking okay how is it how many applicants did we get uh, and you see at the end HR department is responsible for bringing in the new 12 sales engineers so everything which is people related is 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 done in the HR department. Okay, this is a very extreme view, but it's not so far away from many organizations uh, current reality, I suppose. Okay? And and this kind of central planning and control that goes very much along with companies that also think in a very hierarchical way, with companies that want to have stable, predictable, and solid processes that are supposed to work until eternity, right? Okay? So that was the second type of human resource management. And now let's move to the third type of human resource management, and I name it people-centered enablement, people-centered enablement. So in our triangle, we are now on the right-hand side, but on the bottom, on the lower hemisphere, yeah, which is about agility and networks. So how does human resource management look like in that corner, people-centered enablement? It feels completely different. It says, okay, Who is responsible for learning? The people. <laughs> Who else? Who is responsible for long-term development of our most talented people? Yeah, the most talented people. Who is responsible for hiring 12 new sales engineers? The business line, of course. I mean, whom else? Who is responsible for retention? The teams. Who is responsible for health? The people. So the assumption is that the people share or take over responsibility for almost all people-related things. Yeah, you see, this is a this is a complete different way to go, really. So, and and from an employee perspective, if you are if you are an employee in, in a company that is following up on such kind of human resource uh, management. If you are an employee in such an organization and you're very, very talented, yeah, you're a John and you ask, okay, well, I think I'm very talented and I'm also very ambitious. I know this, so I want to develop. And then you call the HR department saying, hey, <laughs> I'm John, I'm talented, I want to develop. The response will instantly come saying, hey, John, okay, you want to develop? That's cool. So please go ahead, <laughs> develop yourself. Take over responsibility for your career and for your life. Hey, man, you are an adult, so make the best out of it. 
But we will not do nothing, John. We are here. We support you. We're gonna open doors, but you have to walk through this. And 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 look at your career not as an elevator. It's not that you just step in and then we will carry you upwards. Our career, the careers in our organization are more uh, stairways. So please find your right stairway. If you don't know what is your right stairway, we're going to help you with coaching maybe so that you will find your right career for yourself that fits to the company's need. But then you walk upwards. You will go. You are responsible. You are a grown-up man, so take over responsibility. Or even when it comes to recruiting, you want to hire 12 sales engineers? Okay, good luck with that. That's something that challenging. So we from HR department, we're going to help you, guiding you through all the necessary steps so that you will find your 12 engineers. Yes, got it right. You will find them. It's not us. You're going to find them because we know the best way to hire a sales engineer is to work with sales engineers. Penguins hire Penguins, so <laughs> okay. So this people-centered enablement, please don't get it wrong, is not about HR departments doing nothing. Really not. That's not the idea here. You you might do a lot, and you might do things in a very institutionalized, structured, professional, formal way. You 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 might really do a lot. You might spend a lot of money a lot of effort, a lot of time. But the aim is not, as an HR department, to take over responsibility for everything. The aim of, of the HR department is support the business for taking over all people-related things. And so that you don't get it wrong, here we talk about strategic things, right? We talk about things like learning, development, uh, uh, talent acquisition, all those things. We do not talk about administrative things. We do not talk about payroll, for instance. I, I can't imagine a people-centered payroll. It will never be the case that the people are responsible for their own payroll. No, please not. We do not talk about these administrative things. We talk about the strategic things that really matter for business, okay? Just to, to, to get it right here, okay? So, to, to sum it up a bit, We have these three different types of human resource management. One time is hire and pay, doing nothing. Yeah? And then we have the two other ways of doing the other types of human resource management, which are highly institutionalized. But one is central planning and control. A central authority like the HR department takes control for all people-related things. And there is the other highly institutionalized way of human resource management, which is the people-centered enablement, uh, which more goes along with an environment of agility and networks, yeah, where the people share or have responsibility for all people-related things. And you know, This differentiation between these um, three different types are essential, really. Um, because what we will think of in the remaining parts of this series is, well, how does 
an HR strategy look like when it is more about central planning and control? And how does a human resources strategy look like when it is more about people-centered enablement? And you will see that even though you might deal with the same challenges and if you deal with the same problems, you might come up with completely different strategies. Yeah, And that's a... That's a, really something which is absolutely uh, uh, fascinating. So take this home, yeah, the famous HR triangle. Love it. I've invented this, uh, I don't know, 12 years ago. And in this moment, I, I was not aware how powerful this became, this triangle with these three different types. It's, it's really powerful. Uh, please, please use it. It helps. Well, it's okay. Now... With that in mind, I would like to finish for today. And in the next episode, I will, I will show you an overview on how to build a human resources strategy. So, hey, thanks for listening. See you then. Mm-hmm.